I think when you're looking at Stroud versus Young, I think they're very close uh, from my like objective model stance. I just think the tiebreaker stuff goes to Stroud based on like translatable traits, right? It's where the size comes into play and it's where the, the arm strength comes into play. Hello and welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole triple underscore. This is the analytical podcast here for the NFL. And I'm going to talk to Rich Rebar today. For those of you who have followed him, he's he's an OG in the fantasy streets, in the analytical fantasy streets. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. He's got the Zach Morris uh, avatar on Twitter, part of his brand there. One of the best guys out there. Smart, smart dude, smart takes. We go through every offensive skill position here for the draft classes. Talk about his rankings. Talk about macro perspective. Talk about from the NFL perspective, how they should be looking at drafting these guys. I think we're aligned quite a bit on here, but I always learn a ton when I talk to Rich. Go ahead and check out all of his work at Sharp Football Analysis. And if you're new to the pod, if you haven't seen my research, go ahead and go to unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Not only do I have the podcast, other different solo pods that I do on almost a weekly basis, but then a lot of research that I put out not only into modeling from a fantasy perspective, but a lot of real-world NFL analytical research you can look at, which will continue, of course, all the way through the summer and into the season. If you have any questions, concerns for me, you can contact me on Twitter, or you can go ahead and email the uh, pod email address. It's unexpected underscore PTS at gmail.com. Let's get to the content, though, here. And here is Rich Rebar. Welcome to the podcast, Rich Rebar, the Lord Reeves, not Roto Reeves. How's it going, my friend? <laughs> it's going good, man. Yeah, uh, I think we kind of get together around this time like every year and kind of chat before the draft. I always love talking to you. I wish the Bears would have held on to that first pick a little longer for you uh, so we could have uh, you know, milked out some longer uh, takes there. I was on a podcast and said, if I was the Bears, I would have taken a quarterback. I took a bunch of heat for it, and I immediately thought, I was like, man, this must be what Kevin Cole lived every day. Yeah, you know, I don't get it as much. Like, I want to take more heat. I'm trying to establish my brand here. I remember, um, I, don't know if, I don't know if you know Jason Fitzgerald, uh, Over the Cap. He yeah, yeah. The site Over the Cap. For some reason, I don't know why, because he's a pretty even keel sort of dude. It's not like he's even throwing out this inflammatory stuff out there. But sometimes I'll say something like regards to the bears like oh yeah the bears should you know think about drafting a quarterback number one he'll reply to me like not open not any quote reading. he'll just reply and say something about it being a good idea and then he'll get like 50 replies of people yelling at him it's like yell at me i want to be the guy who's getting yelled at i was trying to build my brand on that but you're right uh ryan poles much too quickly pivoted on that and, and moved on and you know the, the, the dream is over. We could have had mo- two more months of talking about you either trading Justin Fields or taking a quarterback. Uh, I would have been here for that. People were mad. People were mad about the concept of even having to talk about it at all or even for a couple of weeks. And I, I think it's interesting. I think it's yeah, more fun I think so too. than it's talking a, about B. John mental... Robinson in the first round. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's a huge mental barrier, I think, for people to like get over, though, because a lot of people treat the draft from a top-down stance, I think, as like, um, 
an initial tool for just Im- improving, right? When like, you know, they think that like this is solving the problem that's already created when it really isn't, right? Yeah. Uh, we're trying to take multiple swings at trying to solve that. But a lot of people are like, well, the Bears now need a left tackle. So they just take uh, a left tackle at nine, situation solved, like move on. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also maybe this uh, reflexive pushback against the idea of, it's like the probabilistic thinking, right? So in this scenario, if you're saying potentially move on from fields, I wasn't even saying necessarily get rid of them. I was just saying, like, Mm -hmm. think about drafting someone else for competition. But if you're saying that, that just gets placed automatically in the bucket of you're saying Fields has no chance of doing anything and you're getting rid of him and you're moving on and you're not appreciating any potential that he has and, and all that, that sort of stuff. And it just, what really gets me about this is some of the, the lack of evidence, even backing up some of the reflexive takes. I was, I saw a thread the other day, uh, analysts will go unnamed talking about like drafting quarterbacks early and how it can ruin the franchise if you make the wrong pick sort of thing i mean i i I, i'm like on the opposite side i'm like it's just a first round pick you know we we, we make bad first round picks all the time but like don't we even look and say the eagles the rams uh the jets even now who may end up getting aaron Rodgers here multiple times busted on you know first round quarterback but even within the same regime had a quarterback there that that didn't do anything i mean there are all these different examples um the Browns maybe moving on to Deshaun Watson, whatever you think of that, they were able to kind of make that move. Like guy, plenty of teams have made the wrong quarterback pick early. And if you're willing to, you know, pivot and move off of it, it's fine. So like, how can you even say that when there's all this evidence of teams who have done exactly yeah. that and even had gone on to, to appear in the Super Bowl and in the case of the Rams win the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's absolutely uh, wild, too, especially when you look under the hood. Because a lot of people, as I said, like they just take that initial top-down thing and they either see it as the Bears aren't solving another potential for, for full need. And we're just using the Bears as an example here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another but immediate defensive need. back. They need that or, defensive back. is really going to make the difference on completing the Or like you there. said, like they're treating it as like, well, they're, they're ripping the plug on Justin Fields. So it wouldn't necessarily be that case either, right? So it's like hard for people to get over those two mental barriers uh, for sure. But uh, 100%, I think when you have that that pick, it would, I mean, if, it, granted, it, like you get a, a DJ Moore and they're trying to solve all these things, but man. I would have loved to see the chaos. Someone's going to do it eventually, man. Someone's eventually going to swerve into that. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I know like there isn't a real example. The example that I pointed to For is the, the closest historical analogy going back quite a ways is, you know, th- th- this also points to that you can't develop two guys at the same time farce that, that, that goes, that goes on in people's minds. Like I is Aikman and, yeah. and Steve, why am I forgetting his last name? Steve Walsh. Here. Steve Walsh, I was about to say uh, Burline. <laughs> Steve Walsh, same exact offseason they were drafted. One in the in the supplementary draft, one in the regular draft. Two number one first picks equivalents because the Cowboys were so bad that they gave up their number one overall pick for in the next draft for drafting Steve Walsh. And then, you know, that they send Steve Walsh packing a year and a half later for like a first round, a second round, a third round, and another contingent pick. Like it has actually been done, and there aren't many examples to the counter. Right. Yeah, I would I want to I would love to see it pull it off, especially now with the you know, the way quarterback contracts are structured and even the fifth year option now with you know, if a guy makes a Pro Bowl, you know, yeah. and it, it just the the dynamic it changes there in the fifth year option. 
there's just a lot to be kind of played with, I think, in that space, especially at the most important position in all, in all the sport. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I think part of it also is maybe this class. And we're going to talk about this class a bit here. And, you know, again, like evidence-free um, sort of assertions. People say, well, Justin Fields is a better prospect. Well, I mean, he didn't go number one, right? So, but anyway, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that class and everything else. Try to go stick to skill positions here. Have the fantasy focus. Also talk about, you know, the, the real thing, which really aligns pretty closely, I think, when mm-hmm. it comes to running back and wide receiver and tight end, honestly, and quarterback to a lesser degree for these guys. Like, I don't think it's a, this gulf between the two, um, figuring out who are going to be the, the great players. So we'll talk about all that. Now, I want to start with running back, if only to uh, maybe build on running backs don't matter and, and coin pre-draft running back analysis evaluation doesn't matter because... Like draft capital, we know is going to be high first round for Bijan. Probably no first rounds for any first rounder for anyone else. And then for me, outside of that, it's just let's wait and see who goes where and who they go to. And that's much more more important to me than necessarily grinding tape or looking at measurables or things like that. I mean, you want to hit thresholds, but there's a lot of guys we've seen be successful who don't hit what we thought were the thresholds that you needed. Yeah, this class in particular has a lot of different top-down layers that I think are, are in play as well. One, it's a talented class, but it's very archetypical. Uh, there are very guy, very much guys that are good in specific roles, but not a lot of like the you would look at a guy and say, like, "Yeah, this is a three-down workhorse." Those guys are kind of very lean still in this class for as talented it is. Also, if you look at just the NFL landscape, there are no jobs for these guys. There just really aren't. There's more viable running backs in the NFL than there are jobs. Whereas you can look at this wide receiver class and you can say, yeah, this wide receiver class isn't as good as previous years that we've had. But guess what? There are a bunch of jobs for these guys. There's going to be a bunch of opportunities for these guys. Uh, So you've got kind of that pulling against the running back kind of position uh, in this class because we've got a lot of, I think, compartmentalized players and they're going to need to land in specific spots. Uh, not a lot of three down guys that you would look at and say like, yep, this guy's going to walk right in, compete to be the RB1 on his depth chart no matter where he lands. There's only one of those guys, and it's Bijan. Yeah, I mean, so, so with Jameer Gibbs being the second guy, that's kind of the guy that maybe mm-hmm. we can talk about. I mean, obviously the the Camara comparisons, he's light by about 15, 20 pounds, mm-hmm. so that probably doesn't apply. And like, who's who's Alvin Kamara if he doesn't go to the Saints, right? Like, we, we don't even know necessarily those sorts of things. But I think you're right about the overall landscape. I hadn't thought about it that much. And I think it goes back to, there were some dark years, like, <laughs> at yeah. running back. Now, this is going to seem dated for a lot of people, <laughs> uh, we're going to date ourselves here, even though we're talking about like the, the 2010s, the early 2010s here, it's still going to seem somewhat dated. I mean, you look at some of these drafts, right? And um, okay, so, so in 2009, we did have LaShawn McCoy in there. But even before that, no Sean Moreno, uh, Donald Brown, you know, God damn it, Donald. So that uh, Donald Brown there, CJ Spiller and Ryan Matthews in 2010. Mark Ingram is the number one the first running back in 2011, Trent Richardson and Doug Martin, uh, David Wilson, RIP, uh, Gio Bernard as the number one running back in 2013, Bishop Sankey, the number one running back mm. in 2014. It was really 2015 when you got Gurley, who's also kind of obviously fallen off of the, the planet there, and Melvin Gordon and some other sort of names. But I feel like it was yeah. that sort of era was so bad for so long that 
we've had a decent run of good running back talent coming into the NFL since then. Yeah, and that ties into how people analyze the fantasy position. Uh, you know, last offseason in particular, it was a big point of emphasis for people to bring up the the age cliff for running backs. And it's yeah. like, well, we remember we went through an era where we did have a lot of aging producers, Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, right? And then those guys hit kind of that firewall, and we just didn't have an influx of talent after that. So, like, there was nobody, like, keeping that cycle going of, like, to compete, to, to be good NFL producers at, like, age 28, age 29. And it wasn't until we hit this particular crop of running backs, the Nick Chubbs, the Derrick Henrys, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara and that group. Like, everyone now is at that age, right? Uh, you know, and everyone was kind of using that against them. But it's like, well, let's just take a step back here. Like, we just went through, like, six or seven years where, like, we got no good running backs in the league. Like, eventually, this these get – it's going to catch up and we're going to have producers at age 27, age 28 again, uh, because these are the guys who are still the starters in the league. Uh, so it is pretty interesting to kind of, you know, think about how that cycle went through that early 2010s where we just didn't really get a lot of good players or any hits at the top of the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And even a lot of the guys who have gone, or at least a handful of guys who have gone in recent years, I feel like, and again, I'm not a running back evaluator, but guys like Jonathan Taylor, maybe Javante Williams, Brees Hall, uh, Kenneth Walker to a degree is a bit smaller, so maybe not. Those kind of seem like guys who would have been, you know, mid first round picks in the prior era sort of thing. So we've even gotten better talent a little bit later in drafts. And I think that feeds into this Bijan Robinson discussion because he's not being mocked at least to go very often in the top 10 picks. Whereas he would have been like a lock top 10 pick sort of guy. I mean, even Fournette was a lock, you know, top, he's mm-hmm. in that top five, Elliot in the top five, Barkley, you know, two, maybe would have fallen a little bit more if not for, for Gettleman owning the, owning the nerds with that, <laughs> with that pick there. Um, what do you think about Bijan? Like, where's he going to land? Is there some possibility that, we should just forget about the fact if he goes in the twenties or something like that, what that means for who he can be as a running back, or should we be taking some, some hint from that and looking at it and saying, Hey, maybe these guys will even have less of a, of a leash and a commitment from their teams than an Ezekiel Elliott had when he was going forth overall. Yeah. I think more just if he still ends up in the first round, I'm still going to be pretty well interested. I think that the, you said the hint that the league is kind of caught on, but they still can't help themselves like to a degree. Cause you, you have Najee. You only need one, right? Yeah. And you, you know, you have Najee, we had ETN still go in the twenties. Like none of these guys were as good objectively as prospects as uh, Bijan is really right. the only guy that I think was surprising that the NFL showed restraint on was Jonathan Taylor. Cause he was such a good prospect but I think that the pass catching in, in that particular class was so loaded that maybe it moved him down a little bit. But the NFL has shown when you have a guy like Bijan, someone kind of always reaches in, it reaches in earlier than we think. So I'm really curious to see on Thursday where he goes. If he does end up in like the 20s, I won't care. As long as he's a first rounder, I mean, he's probably going to be kind of that the team's like lead back. I'm very curious to see though where he lands because I can't find like a great fit for him like in the first round and probably because like you uh, I'm not taking a running back at this point and someone will but you know I try to talk myself into it's like well maybe the Chargers feel like it's a luxury right because you've got all the schism with Eckler he's going to be 29 he's going to need a big contract maybe they feel like they're good enough like Bijan could be part of their offense but like all these other teams like there's no reason for the Falcons to take him at where they are. The Falcons just led every running back category in rushing last year with 
with Tyler. Like, one Algier. of my favorite blurbs was the, on the Falcons taking him based upon best player available. Uh, thinking was the one two punch they could have with Tyler Algier, a fifth round running back, and a guy that you take in the top 10. The one two punch. I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm dying reading this stuff. Then you have the Eagles. Like, so, like, when you look at like, the Falcons and the Eagles, like, they are proven systems from a, a 10,000 foot view that are, that can like plug in serviceable guys, baseline guys and make them better because the scheme in it, the scheme they're involved. So like, why would you need to invest? They've already shown that they do, you don't need to invest capital at those positions in this system. So why would they do it? Uh, then you have like a team like the Buccaneers. So you said, well, the Buccaneers could maybe take them. It's like the Buccaneers are light years away from like getting anything coaxable out of Bijan Robinson. To, hey, like, improve make your comeback season. All right, come on, come on. All right. <laughs> So I'm like, I struggle to even like really find a spot. Like people talk about the commanders and it's just like, I mean. I mean, it is funny. They just like, who are the dumbest teams potentially <laughs> out there? And that's, that's how we're doing it. It obviously... used to be like, who are the most complete teams, which is still, I think how people are mock drafting. I think the more sophisticated people are, who are the dumbest teams that could potentially take them? <laughs> yeah. And that's where, where I think we kind of are, but I, it's hard for me to look at it because internally I say like, nope, this is a mistake. From my end, I'm yeah. like, this is a mistake, this is a mistake, this is a mistake. Why would you do this? So I don't ever find – I can't, like, find a landing spot for him for, like, where a team would be like, yeah, that makes sense to take him. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking back. I was wondering, okay, what was I thinking in the moment of these early picks? I mean, because um, we really – I mean, Saquon, we knew. We knew that was going to happen, right? We knew Gettleman was already, like, had that marked, had Saquon's gold jacket ready and everything else. So that's why he had to take him there. For I was Nets, on live with you. I was on live with you when Ezekiel Elliott got picked by the Cowboys. That was amazing. Um, that was my that was one of my favorite draft memories. I have to say because it was one of those ones where you're like, I, like you kind of you you you're fighting yourself. It was like the, the 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 angel and the devil on your shoulders where the devil's like, you know, they're gonna take they're gonna take uh, Ezekiel. You're like, no, I can't. <laughs> the angel's like, they can't actually do that. Jalen Ramsey is right there, like potentially <laughs> the greatest quarterback prospect from the from this generation. You're like, and it was going back and forth. And then when it happened, it was just too good. Yeah, I remember it happening live, and we just kind of t- we were trying to like do like the. Because there was a fantasy show we were on, and we were trying yeah, to just yeah. be like, man, this was really kind of a bad pick. But otherwise, like, this is a great thing for fantasy football. And, like, you're trying to bridge that. And that's basically where we're still going to be with Bijan, right? Like, yeah. even if a team is like, we're like, man, that was a really dumb pick. We're going to be excited for fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to clear the deck of whoever wh- – whatever – you know, competition or whatever is there is just that it's, it's cleared. Like Bijan just, just takes over. So we probably don't have to worry about that, but maybe I'll get a little bit more from the real football side, as far as taking him in the first round or not. One thing, but Gibbs is, I think a, where the conversation starts. Cause yes. like, cause Gibbs could go like theoretically like high second round. And I even think that's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's nuts. I mean, I don't get, how he's anything more how you can project him confidently as anything more than a dynamic like third down sort of option with maybe some you know shotgun you know quick 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 huddle sort of option in the, in the two minute offense and things like that beyond that I I don't quite see it yeah I think that you're hoping he ends up being like a Tony Pollard like entity who the Cowboys basically squandered his entire uh, yeah, rookie yeah. contract you know he's playing under the franchise tag this year uh so yeah. like the Cowboys didn't even maximize that but I mean the Al, Al in college Alabama's already shown us like they removed Jameer Gibbs uh they removed him on the goal line yes they removed him uh on short yardage he was 
the worst running back in this draft class on yards created uh, after contact per carry on inside runs. So like we already kind of know what he is, right? And like you can find these guys. So like the best version of this running back in the NFL versus like the baseline level, like the gap just isn't far enough to like invest significant capital into, right? Like it's yeah. easy for us to say like the best uh, left tackle versus like the baseline level position totally wipes out the margins, right? But that's just not the case here, especially for uh, an elite running back, like even Bijan, let alone a guy who's probably going to be compartmentalized. He gets the Kamara comps 15 pounds lighter than Alvin Kamara. Like really you're hoping he has like for a ceiling perspective, has like the Eckler range of outcomes where he's just so good that he forces his way into the lineup. But even Eckler was super cheap. And like, you just kind of ran into that. Like you didn't pay for Eckler. Uh, But that's kind of what you're hoping for. That Jameer Gibbs is just so efficient with his touches and so good that like he just renders like everyone else saying like, we got to get on the field more. Yeah. I mean, I think you nail it as far as it's like this opportunity cost slash replacement value sort of thing. And I, I mean, maybe partially to deflect people just getting annoyed at nerds hating on running backs. I do like to emphasize that it's not that running backs are, are all bad or all mediocre. It's like, there's actually a lot of really, really good running backs. And especially when you can split the backfield and say, you're going to be our first down and second down guy. And on third down, if it's third and three, you're passing the ball 85% of the time. I'm sorry. That's just how it works in the NFL. There's not this huge advantage to having a three down uh, player. So because of that, like Bijan is has replaceability. A guy like Jameer Gibbs is replaceability on steroids. There are just so many different guys you could potentially get who can fill that sort of role that I just don't get. I mean, I guess James Cook went in the second round last year, which was a head-scratching pick there too and again it's one of those picks where almost two weeks after it's made the bills are still looking about who who else are they going to get it and running back afterwards so it shows the mistake there but i don't know i mean i guess that second round outcome can happen but then it i'm not nearly as convinced that it's going to lead to anything right yeah 100 percent. and because because he's still a player too and you have to look at it like he still has to earn like a projectable role where like there's a, a mental firewall for coaches like they have a hard they have a hard time so like wide receiver weight is something that we'll get to probably on this podcast but like Mm -hmm. running back weight is is so massive because nfl coaches have showed time and time again that if you're a smaller back like it takes you so long for them to trust you with those kind of like money touches like those high value short yardage touches to put you in because they believe that one these guys get hurt at a different degree which really isn't true uh, and that they're more, they can be more or less effective. They're less effective. The smaller guys are less effective than a bigger guy running between the tackles. So like, it takes a long time for these guys to even multiple injuries, right? To get the the full trust of a coaching staff to say, I'm going to give this 200 pound running back all these touches. Like it, it really is a mental hurdle for like these coaches to get through. Um, and that's what he's going to be working up against no matter how damn good he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there is something to, if you want to maximize your, um, if you want to, if you want to minimize, I should say your negative run rate or your sub two yard run rate, maybe there is something to having these big guys. And, and like one of the big fallacies of running versus passing is just like this idea of success rate versus like efficiency and getting bigger sort of gains. But right. I think it's, it, I mean, I guess the, the the example, now it's not a great example from an injury standpoint, but someone like Jamal Charles was one of the most effective short yardage backs in the NFL pretty much his entire career because 
he could like hit the hole so quickly and and have good vision there. So I think, yeah, it doesn't really get backed up by the numbers, but it, it is it is what it is. There is there anyone else you can you can think confidently about here? And for me, again, I think it's just going to be more wait and see what happens in the draft. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely like my my post like Bijan tiers run deep. Even like my tier three because I think you kind of like Gibbs and Charbonnet kind of in like a a little mini tier, but like. My running back, like four through twelve, they might not. You might as well not even number them. Don't don't even number them. Like <laughs> you got to number them. That's how you get the clicks. That's how you get yeah, the I know. It's how you get the clicks in the list. And people are like, but the the margin where people say like, well, you have this guy twelve and this guy five. I'm like, listen, they they might as well not even have numbers. They're they're yeah. the same guy. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting talking about like the 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 big plays versus like the how success rate has come. It's like that's like what Kenneth Walker was last year, right? Yeah, like uh, you know, Kenneth Walker, the big, the the huge splash play runner, but on a per down basis, was one of the like worst like efficiency based runners from like an NFL perspective. Like he was bad for the offense to give carries to. Yeah. Uh, very very interesting conversation there. But yeah, none of these running backs. Like I'm waiting to see where these guys go. Like there's guys I'm interested in, and like you know, Kendra Miller, and you know maybe uh, you know Abanaconda or you know Sean Tucker. But like if one of these guys goes fifth round, and one goes second round, like it's going to change the the whole thing, the whole landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And then someone gets injured in week two and it flips back around the other way. And it's, it's, it's a totally... talented class though. Uh, I mean, we were, I remember, you know, thinking about like, whoa, who's going to be like my RB three or four last year talking about like Zamir white and James cook. And <laughs> you get to like, RB like 12, 11. And these players are a lot better prospects than those guys were. Yeah. Yeah. At least there's like the, the <laughs> contingent on good draft position, good landing spot. Some potential, some potential that we're, we're talking about here. Okay. Um, let's just go wide receivers, I guess, next. I don't know. Like, I, I'm I, I'm like shoulder shrug when it comes to this here. I guess everyone's going to have uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba number one. And I can agree with that. But even then, I'm not really, I'm not, you know, I'm not excited. I'm not titillated. Yeah, there's no like Jamar Chevel Chase level uh, prospect, right? Like you were kind of looking at just like that home run, that blue chip guy. I will say though, like GSN and he, if it's a larger encompassing, like talking about the position, uh, he fits like what really works in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, the NFL's had a big climate shift in recent years. Uh, we're getting more quick passing as a byproduct of how teams are playing defense, right? Like man coverage, lowest rate it's ever been last year. Teams aren't blitzing as much. We're seeing a lot of, you know, my grandma knows what too high safety is now, right? Like she's heard too high shell. Like yeah. she, she talks about it. So we're, we're seeing more of the NFL be adopted. Uh, the passing game, be it more of a quick passing game, more of a zone based passing game, more of a yak centric passing game. Those are kind of like the areas where like you see like now guys like Cooper Cup explode, Amon Ross St. Brown, like, and that's where I feel like the spectrum is for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like he's probably more from like a floor perspective. You're getting an Amon Ross St. Brown and from a ceiling perspective, uh, you hope to run into like a guy like Cooper Cup. A lot of that is going to be like scheme, scheme based and landing in the right spot, but that's the kind of player he is. I think he can still win outside because, you know, Cooper Cup wins outside and he wins vertically as well. We still need Amon Ra to get those routes, but I think that's the kind of receiver we're working with. And also when you look at just this receiver class in general, it's small and light. And we've been trending this way for several years. Uh, this isn't just like a one-time thing. Like we're starting to see receivers come in lighter, leaner, and more versatile into the NFL 
than it was when you and I started at Rotoviz and we used to have like the the chubby chaser debates, right? Like if yeah. this dude wasn't carved out of Mount Olympus, he's not the prototypical alpha wide receiver one. Well, the NFL's changed. Like you can throw all that out. It's not just the Devontae Smith thing. I mean, you, Garrett Wilson was 182 at the combine last year. Like these guys are leaner, lighter. It, it, the position has changed and what wins at the position is a totally different uh, type of archetype than what won in the early 2000s and even the early 2010s. Yeah, it's it's weird because if you're going to look at a number of second round receivers who outperformed and maybe you're wondering why didn't those guys go in the first round, that's actually you've seen a, a decent like cohort of bigger receivers who went in the second round and it's like what happens in the NFL the draft that those guys weren't going were going in the first round? We're talking about Metcalf, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, I don't know, T. Higgins to a degree. Uh Michael Pittman, I guess he's kind of stalled, but that offense is just completely dysfunctional. So I don't know what what to say about him. But isn't that kind of strange? It would have been like these guys are getting overdrafted, and then in some ways that type of receiver is getting underdrafted. But I don't I don't think we have a guy like that in this class. No, I mean, you're starting to see like people are trying to talk themselves into Jonathan Mingo, which would be like, which is fine for like a day two pick. But like, there's no way that that dude's going to get in the first round. Uh, yeah. the, the the kind of the steam. You know, people are trying to talk themselves into Cedric Tillman, who's like a fine player. Uh, I think there's a place for him. That's a guy that would run like, you know, hitches, outs, comebacks, turn his body to the quarterback, be really good. But is there like a huge ceiling there? There's a question to be made there. But other than that, yeah, this class really lacks uh, some of those like day two, day three guys that you're going to look at just from uh, the the physical attributes and say like, yeah, this is the guy we would have loved at Rotoviz. Now, the the I mean, I agree with the fact that we don't have to be that prototypical um, Julio Jones type of wide receiver anymore in the NFL to be successful. At the same point in time, Maybe I get a little bit, I get a little queasy around the concept of some people saying, well, you know, Cooper Cup is great. So therefore, like being a slot receiver, Cooper Cup makes more money than anyone else in the NFL. So therefore, being a slot receiver, you it doesn't matter sort of thing. I mean, we're still talking about guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, who went in the fourth round, right? Right. Cup went in the second round. Now, he went a lot earlier, though, than a lot of people thought he was going to go. Also, let's remember, that was seen as being a little bit of a reach when we talk about small school and all that sort of stuff going, going in the second round. So I do think maybe from a replaceability standpoint, and we'll see where this goes here. I do think that maybe there is somewhat of that argument a bit there where I would be Mm -hmm. more hesitant to make JSN the first pick off of the board, because I say, you know what I could, I, maybe I could luck into a poor man's JSN in the late second, third round, more so than another type of receiver. Yeah, I mean, he's, he still takes a, a projection for that ceiling, right? And that investment uh, where he's probably going to go in the draft, which we assume will be in the top 20 picks, maybe even the top 12. I mean, he ran just 85 total pass routes on the outside in college. Uh, 95 was 110 catches that college came in the slot. He ran just 15 total pass routes at Ohio State with two or fewer wide receivers on the field, right? These are all dynamics that are going to change in the NFL for him. So he does still take projection in that regard versus, uh, you know, what you're taking with, you're taking Jamar Chase at pick five, right? Like absolutely 100%. There's an argument to be made there. And I think that could hurt him a little bit. I think the class helps him though. 
Yeah. Like, you know, it boosts his elevation because it's so thin and he just universally like the consensus wide receiver one. I know some people will have Addison, some boards will have Quentin Johnston for the same reasons that we talked about, right? Like Quentin Johnston is bigger. Like there's just gonna be an older school approach to saying like, this is what my wide receiver one looks like, you know? Uh, and also I think Quentin Johnson is interesting because although he is that size uh, attribute guy, he plays like what we've been talking about. He's yak centric. Like he fits the, his style of play actually fits where the NFL is like it's yak centric. He's not really winning a lot of contested catches and winning with size, uh, which makes him interesting. But yeah, I think that uh, we're going to see JSN basically be the consensus wide receiver one and probably locked in be the wide receiver one when we do draft uh, on Thursday. Yeah, I think the other guys have too many um, flaw, red flag type of situation. Okay, yeah. let, let's talk about Johnson maybe first. You have him ranked below Addison, which I think I would, I think I agree with. Although I guess I'm not really that high necessarily on Addison either. But I guess the thing for this is this is vibes based analysis here. We're gonna roll to like something for some reason when I watch Quentin Johnson, I get like some CPAT vibes or something like that potentially from him there. I just don't know. As you mentioned, like the contested catch stuff, the down the field stuff, the hands where I know it's not, I know it's fluky, sometimes drops, but he has that like 12% drop rate combined with maybe if you watch it, it, there is some body catching, that sort of, sort of issues going on there. I guess I'm just not really sold on him versus probably even Addison. Like I would probably go Addison before, before Johnson, just because I'm more sold on what Jordan Addison has done being something that can translate over. Yeah, I think when you're just looking at like the nuance of the position, it's it's easy for me to fall in love with some of the measurables and ceiling for Quentin Johnson. Like I said, he's he's awesome with the football in his hand. Like the yeah. dude is that he breaks up, he breaks up a bunch of tackles. Uh, if you can get the ball to him, that's where his size shows up. Is his, his ass a tackle breaker, not necessarily as like a physically dominant like winning at the catch point guy. Um, but I'm also just like he he's very spotty in terms of you know, consistency. And that just scares me. Like for a guy to be taken that highly uh, disappears a lot. Half of his career games, he had fewer than 50 receiving yards. Uh, the last time we seen him play football, he had three receiving yards, right? I'm a, an old school stickler. Like it's cause it's nothing that like nothing's going to show up on any spreadsheet, but like I love when guys like perform in big games. Like it's just a, a trait. Like I've always loved. Uh, you know, I go back to like when like people were questioning Deshaun Watson and I always brought up, I was like, I don't know. I just watched that dude two years in a row with over 400 yards against Alabama. Like, I'm pretty sure he could play. And like Quentin Johnson, the last time we seen him, he had to punch up against Georgia and the dude had three receiving yards. Like that doesn't sit well with me. I don't like my first round receiver and it's inherently volatile positions. Receivers have bad games and everyone, they got absolutely, you know, bamboozled and uh, railroaded that game you know absolutely flooded it's not like anyone on tcu did anything but i still just doesn't sit right with me and he he just has these he has these just has these up and down caddy wampus performances and i don't love that for my wide wide receiver in the first round uh especially if i really need a guy to step in and be like an alpha wide receiver yeah yeah and he doesn't really have an excuse when it comes to uh, competition in the wide receiver core there as being like, okay, I get it. Like, like, like for Devonte Smith and maybe AJ Brown last year, where it's like, okay, I get it. You can get quiet for a while. Cause the other guy is the guy they're using. He doesn't really have that sort of excuse as you would have on a powerhouse receiving core. Like we've seen some of these guys in the past at Alabama or Ohio state or one of those, one of those sorts of places. Like there was no reason for him not to be seeing the ball a lot, especially when you're talking about, he's a yak guy. You, you, you could try to give him the ball a little bit more underneath also. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hey, everybody. This was a free version of a paid subscriber podcast at unexpectedpoints.substack.com, including all of my premium work here. We're talking about four or five articles a week. Please sign up at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And if you cannot afford a subscription at this point, let me know. Either shoot me an email at unexpectedpts at gmail.com, send me a note or leave a comment on the Substack, or hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. Let me know that you're experiencing some you know, financial hardship at this point. I will give you a no questions asked six-month subscription to the pod. You can get these premium podcasts and all of my other premium content. Thank you so much for listening.